I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to title this session, but what I do know is I want to talk about the story of the prodigal son. And I really want to use that story to highlight the fact that we've all made mistakes. We've all made choices. We've all made decisions that have put us in some really uh, sticky situations for some of us. And for some of us, the guilt and the shame of those decisions have held us back from truly having a good relationship with God or even prevented us from wanting to have a relationship with God because we figure I am too much of a mess to even venture into that territory. God is looking at me like I'm scum of the earth. But from the story of the prodigal son, I want to show you that nothing new is under the sun, meaning we've all made mistakes. We've all done things that we're not proud of. Some of us have done things that we would never tell a soul. And so my hope from today's session is that you'll be encouraged You'll be motivated, but most importantly, you would feel or you would understand that as messy as you think your past is, as as messy as you think your life is now, God still wants to have you be a part of his family. So that is my goal with today's session. Forgive me if it's not um, the usual intro that you're accustomed to, but let's jump right into it. So the story of the prodigal son, it's it's one of those Bible stories that a lot of people know. But if you're not familiar with it, I'll just give you the synopsis and not bore you by reading the entire thing before getting into what I want to say. So basically, it is it tells the story of a man that had a younger son who went to him and said, hey, I want my part of the inheritance, basically. And his father gave it to him. He went, he squandered the money, and he ended up having to... Um, do really low work he ended up working on a farm feeding pigs and for him to come from a wealthy family to feeding the pigs of some other person or some other lowly citizen as they would put it that was really low for him and so when he finally realized what position he found himself in and where he's coming from he said to himself you know what no 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 no. I'm not supposed to be living like this my father have money the people them that serve my father eat proper meals every single day. So he decided to go back to his father to make things right. And upon his return, his father was just so overwhelmed or overtaken by emotions that, he, that his son came back after living such a reckless life that he celebrated his return. And um, it even went on to say that his brother, the younger brother's older brother, was upset by the fact that his father was having such a big celebration. He was so overjoyed by the fact that his younger son came back. He just couldn't figure out why he would be happy instead of being upset because here it is. Dude squandered all, all his inheritance. He, he disrespected our family by living such a reckless life. He, he didn't even think about how we would feel about that decision. And he just did whatever he felt like. And here it is, you're celebrating his return. Like, seriously, dad, really? So the father then went on to say he's alive and he came back. He made a mess of things, yes, but he came back. He could have continued to live how he was living, but he came back. And so that is where I want to 
really jump off from. Uh, and so the first thing that I want to touch on is what's highlighted in verse 12. Again, the story, you can read it in Luke 15, 11 to 32, and I'm starting off with verse 12. And verse 12 says, and I'm reading from the Good News Bible, the younger one said to him, that is the son, Father, give me my share of the property now. So the man, the father, divided his property between his two sons. Now, when I read that, my first question was, so why did he just give his son his inheritance just like that? Usually, you inherit your inheritance when your mother and father, or either one, if it's a single parent, after they die, you don't get it while they're still alive, not easily at least. So I thought to myself, why did he just give this guy the inheritance just like that without even questioning anything? And I learned or I realized that some people like to say, well, if God is so powerful, why didn't he stop me before I even started? You know, why is it that he allowed me to go down this destructive road? And I realized that God gives us free will. He gives us the power of choice. And even though you may get someone to do what you want through force or manipulation, when you leave them with the power to choose, that is when you really know what's on their heart and you know what's inside of them. So when it comes to our relationship with God, having the power to choose, it it reveals whether we're as committed to him as we say we are, right? And choice also reveals us to us. Our choices is a reflection of who we are. Whether forced or otherwise, our choices is a reflection of who we are. And we get to see what's inside of us when we exercise the power of choice. So that's the first thing that I noted when the father just gave his son the inheritance just like that. He allowed him to exercise his power of choice. And God allows us to do the same. God can stop us from doing things that we're not supposed to do. He has the power to do so, but he doesn't control us in that way. He gives us the power to choose. You can either do this and get this result or do that and get that result. It's the same with our parents. I'm sure there have been instances where our parents could have stopped us, literally stopped us from doing certain things. But, and this leads to my second point, allowing us to make our own decisions, it teaches us the consequences of our choices. Every decision has an impact and it often affects those around us, as is the case with the prodigal son. I'm sure his father felt away when he took his inheritance and just squandered it. If we were to put it in today's context, I'm sure my boy was bawling, partying, you know, having girls twerking on him and all kind of stuff. Like, you understand? So his father, even though he knew as an adult, because as as you as you mature, as you age, you you learn wisdom. I'm sure his father understood that him wanting that inheritance so early only meant one thing, that he was going to probably just be reckless with it, as was the case. But he did not stop him. He did not tell him no, because he had to learn as a young adult that choices have consequences. Putting this now in the context of us and God, if God always coddled us, we would not grow. We won't understand that our actions, our choices, our decisions have consequences. Remember, God is a teacher and his ways are not conventional. 
So though the prodigal son's father loved him, and though it must have been painful for him to see him run off and just squander his inheritance, he had to let him understand that life outside of what he already established for him is not pleasant. Life outside of his protection was dangerous. Likewise, when God allows us to exercise our power of choice, he's hoping that we'll quickly realize that life outside of him, his provisions, his protection for us is not a life that will bring us joy and happiness. What we get instead, like the prodigal son, is realizing that there's a lot of misery, there's a lot of discomfort when we step outside of what God has already provided for us. Notice that no one could have taken care of the prodigal son like his father did. No one even cared to. And we realize that in verse 16, where it says, he wished he could fill himself with the bean pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything to eat. Pigs were eaten better than my guy. And that is because he exercised his power of choice. He chose to step away from a life of comfort, a life where everything was provided for him because he wanted to experience life on his own. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in that process, he quickly realized that, hey, no one can take care of me better than my father. And the same is to be said of God. No one can take care of us better than God. That's one of the first things I want to highlight from the story of the prodigal son. The second thing is, and and my next point comes from verse 19, where it says, I am no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired workers. Now this, he said, after realizing how he was living, wanting to come back home and realizing, you know what? Even if my father is upset with me, I'm fine with just being his servant. I just want to be back under his care, right? And so the point that I want to make from this is that a lot of people, and and perhaps you can identify with this, a lot of people have convinced themselves that they are way too dirty, way too unclean, way too covered in sin for God to even want them. And, And this is perhaps the case of an unbeliever. Or maybe the mistakes that they've made means that God is not going to want to take me back. And this is the case of a believer who would have backslidden, right? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, you know what? I have done some things that are so terrible. I would not even tell the dead about some of the things I've done. Have you ever felt so embarrassed by your past behaviors, your past mistakes that you just feel like, you know what, Mm -mm. this Christian thing, I can't do it because I've made too many mistakes. I've tarnished my name. I have reached to the place of no return. I can tell you I felt that way. I have had moments where I literally wanted to crawl in a hole and hide and don't come back up because of, of the things that I've done that I felt were so embarrassing, so disgraceful, so, so unchristian like. To this day, I still have moments when I feel like that. I have moments where I feel like all people can see is my sin. Let's not forget those people who actually go out of their way to either expose you or remind you of the wrong that you've done. Don't we just love them? They're just awesome, you know? I know one person in particular, anytime I'd say something unchristian-like, she would be quick to jump up and say, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? And her tone her body language, her expression, everything that would ooze out of her when she said that would instantly cover me with embarrassment. And she loud. 
So when she talks, she's not talking soft. She's not talking for just me and her to hear. The person passing by, the five people passing by would have heard what she said. So I would always feel embarrassed whenever she would say that. Some people want to know God. Some people want to return to church. But it's either how someone would have made them felt or it's the fear of what people are going to say that's holding them back from having that relationship with God again. The question to consider is, are you one of those people that might have said something or done something or treated someone in a particular way that just turned them off from God? It's one thing to point fingers and say, oh, this body don't go to church, that body don't go to church, this person is not a Christian, I can't hang with them. But it's a totally different thing to actually stop and wonder or think to yourself, have I ever said something to someone or treated them in a particular way that just completely turned them off from God, especially if the person knew that I was a Christian and I go to church? I would imagine that I've behaved in ways and said things that would have turned people off from God. I'll be honest in saying that. But this is not a session of ridiculing ourselves or tearing down ourselves, but it's definitely something to think about moving forward, to be mindful in how you talk to people, how you treat people. You just don't know who may be contemplating a relationship with God and their interaction with you will either pull them closer to him, cause them to want to have a relationship with him, or just completely turn them off and make them say, you know what, all Christians are the same. Let's not continue to propel that stereotype because Christians already have a bad rap out there. Let's try our best to be mindful of how we interact with others, you know? So despite all of that, despite feeling like people are going to judge you or people are going to look at you a kind of how, despite feeling like you don't belong, a lot of people... Um, although they're curious about the Christian life, they feel like they just won't fit in because they don't look the way they think Christians are supposed to look. They don't dress the way Christians are supposed to dress. They don't talk the way Christians talk. It's a lot of different things that turn people off or cause people to be fearful. But despite all of that, despite feeling like you're the dirtiest person because of the things that you would have done or perhaps still doing, Here it is that through the illustration of the prodigal son, God wants to say to you that he will still embrace you. Even when you're dirty, even when you think that you've done the world of sin, God will still embrace you. He still wants to embrace you. And he's right here waiting with open arms to take you in and to take you back. Notice in the story that the prodigal son's father didn't order his son to go on washing skin before embracing him. My guy was feeding pigs, so you know, he was dirty. He must have had mud on him. I'm sure he probably didn't get a proper shower. He must have smelled like, ugh. If you've ever been on a farm, if you've ever been around pigs, or even been around animals in general, you know they don't really smell like Dior perfume. They smell like how they smell. So imagine having not seen his son for however long, his son being so nasty, He didn't tell him, you know what, go wash his skin before you touch me. His father went and embraced him. His father hugged him and kissed him because he was so happy that he was back. That, I think, perfectly illustrates how God wants to accept us back, knowing that we're dirty, knowing that we're covered in sin, knowing that we're covered in mistakes and failures. And we can go on and on and on and on and on. 
God is not expecting you to clean up yourself first before coming to him or before he can embrace you. He's going to embrace you just as you are, covered in mud and the like. And I think that is very important for whoever it is that's listening that may feel as though I have to get myself clean up first. I've been thinking about becoming a Christian. I've been thinking about having a relationship with God, but no, 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 no. I need to stop smoking first. I need to stop drinking first. I need to stop having, you know, sex outside of marriage. I need to stop doing this, stop doing that. You need to stop thinking that you need to stop those things before you come to God and just come. God will do the cleaning up. God is the best detergent, you know. He is the best detergent, the best soap. If I were to put God in a category of a soap, maybe he'll be a dove or an Irish spring. You know, you know when somebody bathed with Irish spring, how they smell good. God is an Irish spring. He will clean you up nice, 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 nice. You don't have to worry yourself or concern yourself with cleaning yourself up first or thinking that you have to become a perfect person before coming to God. As you learn more about him, as your relationship develops, as you read his word and understand certain things, the cleanup is going to happen that way. You don't have to be perfect to come to God. You just have to come. And that to me, I think should bring a sort of relief knowing that, okay, I don't have to do all this work. I just have to come as I am. We've heard that time and time again, but God literally means to come as you are. Come with your addictions, come with your mistakes, come with your secrets, come with your embarrassment. I mean, look at Paul in the Bible, who was once Saul. My man used to kill Christians like cold-blooded murderer, and God embraced him, cleaned him up nicely, and he became one of the best teachers in the Bible. A murderer. Now, I don't know if you've murdered someone. It's not my place to judge. But if God... And take a murderer, someone that used to murder people for loving God and praying and just having a relationship with God, to using that same person to become one of the best Bible teachers in history. Don't you think God can take your life and all the ugly that you think is a part of it, all the ugly that you can see and clean you up? I think he can. So again, in the story of the prodigal son, The father did not tell his son to go and clean himself up before coming to him. He embraced him as he is. And that is exactly what God wants to do. God will take us as we are and clean us up. Notice too that the son, even though he was arrogant at the beginning, because I would imagine that for you to go to ask your father for your part of the inheritance, there had to be a little bit of cockiness behind that. There had to be a little bit of ego behind that. In the beginning, when he demanded his father to give him his share of the inheritance, when he returned to him, after he did all the palala and all the partying and all the fun, after he realized I should not be living like this, feeding pigs, he came back to his father with a totally different attitude. He came back humble. And that too is very important. He was humble enough to say to his father he was sorry for what he did. Now, look at it in this other light. When we hurt someone, we are taught or we were taught to say, I'm sorry. When we stray from God's love and his protection and his provision, it hurts him. It hurts him because he so wants to take care of you. 
He so wants to protect us from all the evil in the world. He so wants to shelter us from things that we can't even see, from people and circumstances that appear good but are really detrimental to us. So it really hurts him when we step away from the love and protection that he is so freely giving us. It hurts him to know that he wants to do so much for us, but we just won't let him. But like the prodigal son, with a sincere apology, which is otherwise known as repentance in Christendom, that is all it takes for him to forgive us. Some people would demand that we do this and we do that in order for them to even consider forgiving us. They didn't say that they will. They'll consider forgiving us if we jump through hoops and do this and do that. But God is like, I don't need you to do all of that. I didn't need you to be jumping on one leg and, you know, crowing like a chicken and all them stuff. No, 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 no. I don't need you to be doing none of that. I just need you to come and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, and you can start your conversation from there. All it takes for God to forgive us is to say, I am sorry. When you decide to come to God, there will be people who will not like it. I'm sorry that that is what the reality is. I'm sorry that that is so, but it is so. When you decide to come to God in the case of a non-believer or when you decide to reconnect with God in the case of a believer that backslided, people are not going to like it. They are only going to see you as who you once were. They're only going to see you as the mess that would never get cleaned up. And the most hurtful part is those people are often those that are very close to us, as was the case with the prodigal son's brother. And this is highlighted in verses 25 to 32. It says, In the meantime, the elder son was out in the field. On his way back, when he came close to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother came back home, the servant answered. And your father has killed the prized calf because he got him back safe and sound. The elder brother was so angry that he wouldn't even go in the house. So his father came out and begged him to come in. But he answered his father, look, all these years I worked for you like a slave and I have never disobeyed your orders. What have you given me? Not even a goat for me to have a feast with my friends. But this son of yours wasted all your property on prostitutes. And when he comes back home, you kill the prize calf for him. The father said, son, you are always here with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be happy because your brother was dead and now he is alive. He was lost, but he has now been found. Now, the death here doesn't mean physical death, obviously, because the younger brother came back home, but dead spiritually. Sometimes when, well, not sometimes, but when we separate ourselves from God, there is a death that we experience. It's not a physical death, but it's a spiritual death where we're not able to connect with God anymore. We're not able to hear God's voice. It's like we just turn off from God. That's a different topic for another time. But I just thought I'd mention that. 
going back to what I was saying earlier, when you decide to reconnect with God or connect with God, people are going to be upset. And those people are going to be the people closest to you. It is going to hurt. It is. It may bring you to tears depending on what is said and who says it. Because the first thing you're going to do is ask yourself, why aren't they happy for me? You should be happy that I'm finally going to church and I'm finally reading my Bible. Isn't this what you always wanted? Why are you washing your mouth on me saying things like, oh, you, you, you are not Christian, you too this and you too that. It's sad that sometimes the people who you thought would, would have been most happy for you are often the ones that they really want to see you continue to be. They want you to continue to be a low life. So here it is, your younger brother went away. You don't know if he's alive, if he's safe, if he's dead, if anyone is taking care of him, nothing. But then he comes back safe and sound. And instead of celebrating like your father is, you have an attitude. You're wondering, why is that even so happy? He should be angry, if nothing. He should be disgraced, as a matter of fact, because this guy made our family look bad. He was living such a reckless life. You even go as far as to compare yourself, telling your father why you're the model child and all the things that you've done and all the things your younger brother did not do. But then that is how some people close to us will react to us choosing to live for God or deciding to get back in a relationship with God. They're going to bring up our past. They're going to remind those closest to us of our mistakes and some of them would even go as far as to compare themselves to us thinking that they're better than us because they never backslid in. They always go to church. They always praying. They're the first in church on Sundays sitting at the front looking all holy and spiritual, yada, yada, yada. Let me tell you something, right? Nobody is without sin. We have all made mistakes. Some of the holiest people you and I know. <laughs> okay, I'll just leave that there. They will try to turn you off from wanting to stay close to God because in their eyes, you're not Christian material. I don't know what Christian material is, but in their eyes, you're not it. But I am here to tell you that even though it may be an uncomfortable transition, God is going to have your back. When you hear God done clean you up and nice you up, those same people's jaws are going to drop realizing that way. This is the same guy that used to smoke on the corner. This is the same girl that used to sleep with Tom Dick Harry. And <laughs> they themselves are going to be shocked because when God cleans up, he cleans up nicely and he does a perfect job. So don't bother with them. I know it's easier said than done, but don't bother with them. Be thankful rather that God is exposing you from the jump who to stay away from. Who has your back? Who is in your corner? Those are the people that you avoid for peace of mind and for sanity. So I would say when those persons start to show themselves, just tell God thank you. Because he's exposing your enemies from early. So you don't even have to wonder who, who is here for you and who isn't. God is showing you in plain sight from the get-go. You see that person? No, you don't really want to mix and mingle too much with them. You see that one over there? Yeah, hail and go. You're not going to hate them. You're not going to develop an attitude towards them, but you're going to be mindful that, you know what? Mm, this person isn't really somebody I can trust. This is someone that I need to stay away from. 
God doesn't care if you've been smoking for 10 years. He doesn't care if you were in a gang. He doesn't care about the things that you did that you can't tell another soul. He does not care. The moment you decide to come back to him, the moment you decide to give this Christian thing a try and turn away from your lifestyle, you know what he does? He gets excited. There's actually a scripture a scripture in the Bible that says, and I'm paraphrasing here, that the angels in heaven rejoice when one person comes to God. One. One. Uno. They rejoice. They're basically having a party up there when, for example, you decide to come back to God or you decide to become a Christian. God gets excited when you decide to come to him because now he gets to love on you the way that he's been wanting to and he gets to clean you up, as I said earlier, and show you off. Through you, the person that people wrote off, disregarded, tossed in a corner, and we can go on and on, through you, God is going to remind people that nothing is too hard for him to do. No life is too dirty that he can't clean it up or transform it. No person is too difficult for him to love. Why he does this? Why doesn't God judge you for what you've done? Why doesn't he ridicule you and make you feel small like everybody else or make you feel worthless? Because of love. That's all that it is. Because of love. Unlike us, God doesn't need a reason to love us. We don't have to do anything for God to love us. He just loves us. He doesn't count our our mistakes to throw them back in our face like some people have done us. As a matter of fact, as soon as you ask God to forgive you, he forgets your sin. He wipes your slate clean. And you can find, you can read more about that in Hebrews 10, 17. When you go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to make this right. Oh, God, you know, I've been hearing people talk about you, and I think I kind of maybe want to try and see if we can have a thing going here. From the moment you decide to have a relationship with God, God wipes your slate clean. His love for us is not based on actions. His love for us is not based on us doing things for him, which goes back to the point I made earlier about not having to clean yourself up before you come to him. He's not going to love you more, love you less if you gave yourself a polish. It doesn't work like that. So you can take comfort in knowing that despite the things you've done, despite the mistakes you've made, despite the past that you had, absolutely nothing can separate you from God's love. He even reminds us of that in Romans 8, 38 and 39. What separates us from his love is us. We separate ourselves. We separate ourselves as a result of guilt and as a result of shame. So my encouragement to you is don't allow those feelings to continue to hold you hostage. Whether you want a new God, you took a wrong turn, went down the wrong path, and you feel like you want to turn around and go back to him, or whether you've never known God, but you want to give having a relationship with him a try, all that you need to do to connect or reconnect with him is genuine repentance, which is just saying, God, I am sorry. Like any other relationship, when one party was hurt by the other, a sincere apology is often the first thing that is needed to get things back on track. There's no need for fancy words. No. You just go to him honest and just speak from your heart. Ask him to forgive you of the things that you've done wrong. 
the things that you're ashamed of, the things that you're embarrassed by. Just truly tell him exactly how you feel and that you're sorry. And then ask him to forgive you. Say to him that you're at the place where you want to have a relationship with him. It is as simple as that to get started with God. You don't need anything fancy. You just need sincerity and honesty. And every day after that, have more conversations with him. Get to know him by reading his word. It's not always going to be fun, I'll be honest with you. You're not always going to feel motivated or inspired to read your Bible. You're not always going to feel motivated to pray. But just by the fact that you are making an effort, that speaks volumes to God because you're willing to try despite how you feel. You're willing to try despite still feeling uneasy, despite still battling feelings of guilt and shame. You're willing to try. And we all know once someone is willing to try in a relationship, it makes us feel good knowing that the person is putting in the effort, even if it's a bit uncomfortable for them. So don't beat yourself up if you would have read the Bible today and don't read it tomorrow. I'm not saying to continue like that. But what I'm saying is you will develop consistency over time. The more you get to know God, the more you'll want to continue to know about him. You can even ask him to lead you to a ministry, lead you to a church that teaches the application of the word of God, which is how do I apply what I read into my life? How does this relate to me? How does this help me to become better or deal with the issues I deal with on a daily basis? Ask God, God, where can I go so that I can learn, so that I can grow, so that I can get to know you? That, I would say, is a good prayer. So when he plants you in such a ministry, it will help to whet your appetite for him. It will help to feed your curiosity about God. Ask him, where can I go to be fed? Where can I go to learn? Where can I go to to be taught how to really live by your word? The more you learn and the more you understand, the better choices you'll be able to make. And that will help to sustain your relationship with God. You can have and be and do and experience better in your life. But the question is, are you willing to allow God to be the one to guide you? I will say that again. You can have, be, do, and experience so much better than what you're currently experiencing. But are you willing to allow God to be the one to guide you? I'll leave you to think on that. Thank you for tuning in to another session of Notice of Diaries. I really hope that something that I would have said to you this week would have been encouraging and inspiring. If you liked it, like it. If you loved it, share it. And of course, if you can't get enough, please subscribe. Wherever you may be listening to Notice of Diaries from, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening from, be sure to subscribe. You can follow Note to Self Diaries on Facebook at NTS Diaries. And you can keep up with me on Instagram at Her Candid Life. Until our next session of podcast and chill, take care.